It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady here with you today on the air taking your calls and texts. This is the show where you can call in with questions that have come up in your Bible reading, things going on in your life that you'd like counsel on or biblical advice on, or uh, if you have something to share, a prayer request or, or a, uh, a praise report, we would love to hear from you. Welcome. I want to say welcome to those of you who are listening on, in Colorado on Grace FM. also want to say hello to those who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. We also want to say hi to those of you who are listening online or on the app. So cool that you can join us wherever you are in the U.S. or around the world. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you tuned in today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just to tell you a little bit about myself while we wait for those lines to fill up, I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church that meets here in downtown Longmont. Um, We meet at the Roosevelt, uh, well, it's actually the the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We would love for you to come and visit us if you're in the area or even if you're in the surrounding area, whether that's in, uh, you know, from Lyons, Berthoud, Frederick, Firestone, Mead, even Lafayette and Erie, even over to Boulder. We would love for you to come check us out. If you'd like to check us out online as well, you can find us at whitefieldschurch.com and you can always hear me every weekday here on Grace FM at 2.30 p.m. And Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., we have a show here on Grace FM called Life in the Field. And those are excerpts of sermons uh, that I have preached at the church there on Sunday mornings that are edited for for your listening pleasure. Um, this Sunday at Whitefields, we're going to be continuing a study we have been doing for the last couple weeks. We started a few weeks ago. Our series is called An Anchor for the Soul, and it's our study through the book of Hebrews. And I am very much enjoying our study through the book of Hebrews. It's one of my absolute favorite books of the Bible to get to study through. And uh, one of the things that I love about Hebrews is that it is all about Jesus. Uh, Even our text for this coming Sunday, I was just studying and preparing for it before the show here. And, you know, the text is saying this to us. It's saying, consider Jesus. You know, this book was written to Christians who were struggling with discouragement, even to the point of, wondering if it was even worth it to continue being Christians. Many of them were tempted to give up and tempted to go back to their old life. And the writer to the Hebrews is writing kind of what we would call in our day an open letter to these people who are discouraged and considering giving up on Christianity. Some of them considering going back to Judaism because because Christians were being persecuted and life was just easier. If you weren't a Christian, I'm sure there's some people who can even relate to that today. And they were, they were saying, you know, I'm not sure if I can continue doing this. So the writer to the Hebrews wrote to them and said, wait a second, try and take your eyes off of the, the immediate issues and problems and fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when you get that eternal perspective, it puts everything in your life in perspective. And he says, look at Jesus. 
and fix your eyes on who he is and what he has done, and that will change your perspective on everything. So this Sunday, we are going to be studying Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And that's an interesting section because really the theme of Hebrews going through it is not only fix your eyes on Jesus, um, it's not only a letter to discourage Christians, but another purpose of this letter, one of the aims and goals that he has, the writer of this letter, in writing it is to show people that Jesus is greater. He is greater than everyone and anything in this world. And so in this section... In the first part of the first part of the book, he's essentially saying that Jesus is is cannot be put on the same shelf or in the same category as any other religious figure or historical figure throughout history. He stands alone because he is God. He holds the universe together by the power of his word. He created all things. In the second part, he says that Jesus is greater than the angels. And then in the third part that we're getting into this Sunday, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is greater than Moses, the greatest of all the Hebrew prophets, the greatest a Jewish person you could say who ever lived. And, and the writer says to these people who are tempted to go back to Judaism, he says, Take your eyes off of Moses and put your eyes on Jesus and see how much greater he is. Let's go ahead and go to our lines where we've got some callers already. Let's go to line two where we've got Cameron from Colorado Springs. Hi, Cameron. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. So um, I'm part of a men's group at a church, and one of the questions that came up was, how do you know when you hear God's voice? Because it's really different for everyone, and, and you know, we talked about it, and, and some people refer to it as uh, intuition, uh, kind of a, a gut feeling when uh, when you're praying about something and you feel, you know, the Holy Spirit pushing you towards something. Other people have said that they hear an actual audible voice, um, and I, I just wanted to ask you about it. It's, it's kind of one of those things that's a little bit odd, because, you know, when you do something wrong, for example, when you make a mistake, you hear a very clear, audible voice, or at least most people do, that, you know, says that you're awful, you're bad, you know, you've sinned, that that voice is very clearly audible, but God's voice is still small voice, is sometimes more difficult to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be so subjective in this one sense, and I'll tell you why, because there are certain things that the Bible has said, okay, here's how to hear God's voice. I'll give you a couple of them. One of them is obviously through the Word of God. One of the, you know, I just mentioned in the intro there that I've been studying through Hebrews with our church here in Longmont. <clears throat> and one of the interesting things about Hebrews is maybe more than almost any other book in the Bible, it tells us about the Bible, and it tells us that the Bible is God's Word. I think a lot of people overlook that about Hebrews. You know, that we'll, we'll tend to go to verses like Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 that says that all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, which, by the way, is a great place to go because you remember that Second Timothy was written towards the end of Paul's life, which means that Paul is actually referring not only to the Old Testament Scriptures when he says Scripture, He's referring to probably the Gospels already, and he's referring to uh, many of his letters and some of the letters of the other apostles. So uh, all that to say, that is a great place to go, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But Hebrews is interesting because it, it tells us that the Bible is actually God's word speaking to us. Uh, I'll just give you one example. I'll give you two examples, sorry. In chapter 1, verse 1 of Hebrews, it says that... Um, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Then later on in verse 5, 
he quotes a psalm and he attributes that psalm to being spoken by God. All that to say, we have God's word as the baseline for knowing whether or not something is from God. Because at the end of the day, a little bit of what you're saying is subjective. You know, how do we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who is uh, encouraging us to do something? It's not just our own inclinations, or our own ideas or thoughts. Well, sure. the way that we know that is by coming back to the Bible and weighing things against Scripture. But I think that there are times uh, when it is it is a bit subjective, and we need to discern that. I would tell you in those times, one of the things that we need to do is we need to check our motives. We need to see, yep. okay, am I is this just something that I'm trying to blame on God so that I can say, oh, well, you know, it's not me. This is really the Lord telling me to do this, when in reality, maybe it's just my own crazy idea. So we need right. to check our own motives, be very honest with ourselves, um, because at the end of the day, I mean, God knows whether or not that was him speaking or not, and, yeah. and we need to seek that. I, I think another way is we need to seek confirmation from other people. It's one of the reasons why being in a Christian community, which sounds like you're in a great one there, that's awesome, but being in a, a Christian community is so important because we can bounce things off of people, and we can ask people, hey, do you think this is the Lord? And uh, and sometimes sure. they'll come back and like be like Job's friends, you know, in the book of Job, who gave him terrible advice and told him the exact opposite of what God was actually thinking and doing. Um, but, you know, even in that case, Job bounced it off of them and even their response didn't sit right with him. And um, so I would say Christian community, here's another way is that we have this gift of the Holy Spirit, um, which is the gift of prophecy. And I think a lot of times the gift of prophecy is misunderstood. Um, I think it's really important to remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says that one who speaks in prophecy speaks to people for their upbuilding their encouragement and their consolation so a gift of prophecy doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, God you know helping you predict the future it's more like a word from God for a particular time and situation and it's yeah. a gift of the Holy Spirit and um, you know we're told in first Thessalonians chapter 5 not to despise that gift so those would be a couple ways, but I think, I think at the end of the day, we keep coming back to the Word of God. That yeah. there's, there's one story that comes to mind that, that always comes to my mind in this case, and that is in Acts chapter 8. There's a guy named uh, Simon, and, uh, or I'm sorry, Philip. Philip, and uh, Philip is part of this. He's one of the deacons who's appointed in Acts chapter 6. He's a, he's a guy who serves in the church, and he's obviously, he says that one of the requirements for serving in the church is being full of the Holy Spirit. So Philip there, he's serving in the church, and then God gives him this ministry. There, he he uh, joins the believers who flee from uh, Jerusalem during the persecution. He ends up in uh, Samaria, and then God uses him in Samaria, and we see that there's just like crowds of people coming and becoming Christians in Samaria. And then, it says that he's led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And that's one of those times when I'm like, wow, I mean, that's that's really interesting because here he is. And, you know, he could have probably made the case that, you know, why would I leave this great revival or this great, you know, awakening that's happening in Samaria and go off to the middle of nowhere in the desert? And yet yeah. the Holy Spirit led him to do that now. How could he have known if that's the Holy Spirit or not? I mean, I think on one sense he has to test his motives, saying, okay, is this just my own you know, vain glory or me trying to justify something and blame it on God? 
or do I really sincerely believe that this is God telling me to do something? And if I do, okay, am I willing to step out in faith? So anyway, he was willing to step out in faith. He goes out to the desert, and in the desert, he ends up meeting the one and only person probably who was also in the desert at that point, and that was an Ethiopian eunuch, ends up leading that Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ. That guy takes Christianity back to his country. The rest is history. I just think that's a really interesting example of what it looks like to hear God's voice. Um, But at the end of the day, I don't know that there is an easy answer to that one other than, hey, we got to check our motives. we got to weigh it against the scriptures. And I think there are times when it really, really helps to bounce it off of other people. But I think even when we do that, we need to, like with Job, you know, even if they tell us something, we still need to bring that back to God and, and wrestle through it, whether or not that's God speaking to us. Yeah, yeah, it's a great topic, isn't it? It's, uh, it kind of helps everybody to understand what you have to do in order to communicate, like read the Bible. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I say one great. other thing that uh, comes to mind is that, you know, Paul the Apostle, I always come back to this. He always says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, and, and you hear Jeremiah the prophet say something very similar. And I, in my own life, I've had times where I had this sense that God has spoken to me and woe is me if I do not obey that. So I think that's one other thing I'd throw into the mix there. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's that, that idea of the Holy Spirit pressing you to call somebody to, to make a, uh, uh, just like the story that you related about the Ethiopian. And, you know, being able to follow that, listen to the Holy Spirit, but you feel that prompting, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. If the Holy Spirit, you know, if you're feeling prompted to do something that is good and is in line with Scripture, then um, you should absolutely do it. I mean, at the end of the day, if it wasn't God telling you to do it, then, uh, which I personally do believe, you know, it said the Holy Spirit within us would be prompting us to do those things that are pleasing to God and to obey the words of Jesus that he reminds us of. But uh, I would say, yeah, you should absolutely obey God when when the Holy Spirit inside of you prompts you to do that. Exactly. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for your call. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. You can call in with a question that's come up in your Bible reading or a question about your Christian life, like a previous caller. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line three, where we've got Dave in Denver. Hi, Dave. Hi, Pastor Nick. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for calling in. What's going on? Well, i got a question. I've been doing a study, and it, it, it talks about the concept of God being an active God in your life, not just just a loving God, but active in your daily life. And I was wondering if you could help me out with some supporting Bible verses. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Let me, uh, oh, some Bible verses, huh? Hmm. Yeah. I can, I can help you out with some concepts, and in the meantime, I'm going to help you look up some Bible verses, okay? Okay. Okay. So one of the concepts that I, I come back to is um, one that's found in the book of Genesis. And I'll give you, give you what I'm talking about here. Okay, so in the book of Genesis, you see that God is at work. So first of all, God is uh, at work in the world. He is creating the world. He is 
speaking you know life into it he's he's doing that then furthermore there in genesis chapter 3 we see that god was actively involved with and interacting with adam and eve the man and woman that he created and placed in the garden then after that we see that god also didn't abandon them that god was continually coming to them so throughout the book of genesis we see that god was coming and speaking to people um you know, of course, with Abraham, God goes to Abraham and he calls Abraham to do this thing. And he says, I'm going to bless you and sends it and, you know, calls him to go out of his homeland and come to a new place. And throughout the book, then we see with Abraham's descendants, God is actively, actively involved. We see that there are miracles, you know, there are things that are happening and God seems to be very actively involved in people's lives. And then we come to the story of Joseph. And what's really interesting about the story of Joseph is that from you know, the beginning of that story all the way into the end of the book, it almost seems as if all of that uh, visible hand of God at work in, um, in, in the world and in people's lives stops. Like we don't read about it anymore. We don't read that God showed up and spoke to Joseph, not even once. And there are some times when, you know, Joseph is um, in really bad situations. And you, it says that he was a godly man. So we imagine that he prayed and mm -hmm. so it's interesting, whereas we see God at work, you know, very actively, we, we see, we, we don't see that in the life of Joseph. And then yet at the very end of the book in chapter 50, the very last chapter of Genesis, there's this wonderful statement, you know, that says that Joseph says that everything that you meant for evil, God intended for good. And so what Joseph's saying is that, you know, 20 years of his life have gone by. During that time, he was wrongfully imprisoned. He was accused of crimes he didn't commit. He was sold into slavery. Mm -hmm. And yet at the end of his life, he says, you know what? Through all of those things, God was working actively, even though I didn't hear anything, even though I didn't see anything. You know, I didn't see like Moses, like burning bush speaking to me. But yet God was working. And so one way you could put that is that you, on the one hand, God has, I guess you could say, two hands with which God works, right? So he's got the miraculous hand of God that's the visible, you know, in your face, kind of like beginning of Genesis. He's showing up. He's wrestling with Jacob. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you have the other hand of God, which I would call the hand of providence. And that is no more miraculous. I mean, sorry, no less miraculous. Less, yeah than the miraculous hand of the visible hand of God. Because think about it, I mean like all of these little pieces have to fit together in order for Joseph's story to end up the way that it does. And the same is true of your life and my life as well. God's providence is actively at work in our lives um, at any given moment, you know, determining where we're born, the people that we run into, how things align, things like that. Yep. So I didn't give you any verses, except for, I guess I gave you Genesis chapter 50. 50, yeah. Yeah, and the, the rest of the book of Genesis. But I think you can see that uh, going on through the rest of, uh, of the Bible as well. I'm going to look up some verses, though, in the meantime. Okay. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll, I'll stay listening, though, if you want to shout them out. I appreciate it. Yeah, let's do that. Why don't uh, I continue looking up some of those verses, and um, then... I'll just mention it in between callers. How's that sound? That'd be awesome. Thanks for your time, Pastor. Okay. Thank you so much for calling in. All mm -hmm. right. God bless you. Bye-bye. 
You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line one. We've got Steve in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I got a question about uh, Revelation 12. I think it's 7 through 10 where it says Satan was cast down to earth and there was no more place for him found in heaven. Mm-hmm. Did that? When did that happen? Did that happen when Jesus resurrected? Or is this something that happened, you know, right before the tribulation or during it or, or some other time? So I believe that this happened before the creation of the world. And um, okay. if you look at the context there in Revelation chapter 12, it tells you that a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared. Behold, a red dragon. So what this is doing, just to give you some uh, context, is that here in chapter 12, the writer, John, is taking a break from what he was talking about before. He's still talking about this vision, this revelation that he's got. But in a sense, he's, I guess you could say, from being zoomed in on the details of what's happening, he is zooming out and giving the big picture. And the big picture includes this thing about Jesus. You know, if you keep going on, it talks about this red dragon. So this is, I'm reading in verse 3 of chapter 12. So behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on its head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore a child so that he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God in his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which um, she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So, here is... um, I'm just going to read this text to myself real quick. Yeah, so what we have happening here is describing kind of the big picture. Okay, and so uh, it's written in this apocalyptic literature, so it's kind of metaphoric language. So that's why it's a bit hard to understand. But here's basically what it's saying. It's saying here's the big picture. There was, you know, it talks about the, the, the 12 stars, the sun, the moon, the 12 stars. Speaking of the nation of Israel. This woman, speaking of Mary, crying out, or you could say that the woman might even be speaking of Israel, crying out and giving birth to this child, who of course is Jesus. The, the dragon, of course being Satan, trying to destroy Jesus. Jesus is caught up to heaven, and the, um, the dragon then seeks to destroy these things. The, the woman, of course, has a, flees to a place that's prepared for her. That's speaking of Maybe, you know, a lot of people think that that's in Jordan where um, they're f- a place for Israel to flee during the time of, of the tribulation. So um, I would say that this war between Satan and the angels, I, I give you two, two um, ways of understanding this. One is that this is something that's happening in the spiritual realm during the great tribulation another way of looking at it is to say that this is something that already happened before the creation of the earth now where it talks about uh, satan being cast down and 
and it says that he brought down with him a third of stars from heaven and cast them down to earth. That's referring to something which happened, I believe, before the creation of the world. And I just actually did a study on this last Sunday for our church for the letter of Hebrews when it's talking about Jesus being created, um, great, Jesus being greater than the angels. And, and we were looking at what angels are and Satan being a fallen angel. You know, we're looking at Isaiah where it talks about how Satan was cast down from heaven. And here in Revelation, that's where we come to and we see that he brought with him a third of the stars of heaven. Stars of heaven, of course, referring to angels. So saying that this war took place in heaven, this great rebellion, and a third of the angels followed Satan in the rebellion. And they, um, they then became what we would refer to as demons or fallen angels. So that's, that's what I would tell you, the two ways of looking at it. If you're going to ask me what I think it is, I would say that this is referring to the big picture of Satan attempting to destroy Jesus and not being able to. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you for calling in. Yep, bye. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. You can call in if you've had a question that's come up during your Bible reading or if something that's going on in your life that you'd like to talk about, a prayer request or a praise report. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line two where we have... Dennis in Longmont, Colorado. Hi, Dennis. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Nick. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate your insights and your program. Absolutely. Thanks for calling in. Hey, in a study I was doing the other night in John 7, we came across a verse that I just really didn't have an answer to or, or didn't really understand what it was about. In verse 35, it's essentially saying that the Jews said to one another something about what Jesus had just said. And, you know, basically he was saying that where I'm going, you cannot come. And they say to each other, well, where does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? And in my, I guess my understanding is that he sends his disciples into the world to spread the gospel. But I was unaware of an effort at that point in time to, you know, bring the message to the Greeks. And just kind of wondering, what is that really about? Yes, uh, yeah, so great. Thanks for calling in. Um, I'll tell you this. So you're absolutely right. So let's just give a little bit of context here. Um, John 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. So the Feast of Booths being a, a festival that comes up to um, Jerusalem. And the, it was one of the, you know, the great festivals of the year for um for the Jewish people. By the way, we've got two minutes until our break, so if I don't finish answering this question before the break, I, I hope you'll hang on and let me continue afterwards. But um, here's what's happening. All the Jews have come up. So this is a time when Jerusalem would have been filled with the for the Feast of the Booths. This is a time when the Jewish people would live in tents in remembrance of how they had lived in tents in the wilderness. And so Jesus had come, and, um, and they had asked him a question. People, they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So one of the Pharisees in the crowd, verse 32, uh, heard these things. And the chief priests and Pharisees wanted to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little bit longer, but then I'm going to him who sent me. 
that you will seek me and you will find me, but where I am, you cannot come. Now, in context, what's Jesus saying to them? He's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you a little longer, but then I'm going to go to my father. Essentially, Jesus is speaking of his ascension into heaven. So he's saying, where I'm going, you'll, you will uh, look for me, but you won't find me. Uh, I'm going where you can't come. And they, they all did not understand what he was talking about. So it says in verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go that we cannot find him? Does he intend to go to dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? So uh, I would tell you this. We're going to go to break right now. And I'm going to answer that question right after this. But I'll tell you this much so far. It wasn't about a mission to the Greeks. What he's speaking of is about the Greek, uh, actually, I'm sorry, about the Jewish diaspora who lived amongst the Greeks outside of Israel. But I'd like to answer that in just a little bit more words. So if you'd hang on after the break, I'll be right back. Thanks a lot. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Calvary Live. We've reached the halfway point, so we'll be back in just two minutes. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here on the air with you taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Just before the break, I was talking to Dennis in Longmont. I'm hoping he held on with us. Dennis, are you here? Yes. Okay. Hey, thanks so much for holding the line. So you had a question about John chapter 7, verse 35, where the Jews were asking each other about Jesus. Jesus had just said, where I'm going, you cannot, you will seek me and find me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. They didn't understand that, and they thought, where, where is he going? Does he go, is he going to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? And what does he mean by you will seek me and you will find me and where I am you cannot come? So you ask, what is the dispersion among the Greeks? That is speaking of the Jewish diaspora. Actually, the word there in the original text is the word diaspora, which is a Greek word. So there were a lot of Jews living outside the borders of Israel, Palestine at this time. And there were several reasons for that. Uh, I mean, throughout history, even to this day, there is a Jewish diaspora. You know, a ton of them live on the East Coast here in the U.S. We have a lot in um, England and in other parts of Europe and Russia and places like that. That's even today referred to as the Jewish diaspora. You have other ethnicities that have diasporas, a huge Polish diaspora. There is a huge uh, Armenian diaspora in the world. This, so that's what this is referring to. And that diaspora is the result of several things that happened historically. Um, one of them being the two exiles that the, the different uh, kingdoms of of Israel were taken into, you know, the first in Assyria and the second in Babylon. Also, there's a reference historically to uh, this would be the second century before Christ. And it was referring to how at that time they estimated there were a million Jews living in the area of Egypt. So, you know, Egypt being a major world power at that time and Palestine and Jerusalem and Israel having so much turmoil throughout history, a lot of them had resettled down there and they had Jewish communities. 
But around the time, you know, Alexander the Great had spread Greek culture all the way out to what's now modern-day Afghanistan. And so at that time, you know, Greek was really the lingua franca of the, the entire known world or the entire, you know, Middle East and Europe. And so a lot of Jews had gone and they lived in communities amongst the Greeks. So that would not even just be outside of Israel. I mean, even within the borders of Israel, we read about a place even in the Bible called the Decapolis, which means the Ten Cities. And we know that historically these were real cities that were mostly Greek cities um, that were near the Sea of Galilee. And amongst those people, there, there were Jews uh, but these Jews were referred to by other Jews as Greeks, which is really confusing. Um, but that is the case. So you, here's a good example of this is in Acts chapter 6, where we read about the Hellenistic widows and the Jewish widows, the Hebraic widows. And so what this means, they were all Jews. They were all living in Jerusalem. But there was a divide in their society between uh, Jewish people who had adopted the Greek language and culture and Jewish people who were kind of holdouts. You know, they, they were traditionalists and they refused to take up Greek language and culture and they, they continued to speak Hebrew and, you know, dress the old way, eat the old way, do all the old things. I guess a modern parallel might be like Native Americans in the United States. There are some who refuse to, um, you know, become Americanized, and then there are others who embrace American culture while at the same time remaining Native Americans. I think that's maybe the best example we have and how there might be some tension between those people, you know, the traditionalists versus the the modernists, I guess you could call them. Okay. And so where it says okay. uh, that he's going to go to the dispersion among the Greeks, it's referring to the Jewish dispersion who lives amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks could mean either that he's teaching actual Greek people. Most likely, they referred to these, uh, you know, Hellenized Jews as Greeks. So, okay, so that, it wasn't uh, really a, an attempt to teach the ways of the the Judaism to the non-Jews. It was really just an outreach to those folks who weren't in the local country. Yes, but to be clear, he wasn't actually going to them. This was just what they thought because they didn't understand his uh, his sentence. When you, you will seek me and you will find me, but uh, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so they just kind of were speculating. Is he going to go to the dispersion among the Greeks? And the answer is, no, he didn't do that. But you are right in what you said earlier that he did send out his disciples later to go to all the world, to every tribe and tongue and nation of the world. Okay. Well, great. Hey, great. thank you so much for calling in, and uh, great question. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Hey, if you're in the Longmont area, we'd love for you to check us out online or come visit us on a Sunday morning. You can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com, or you can... Join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10 a.m. in the St. Vrain Memorial Building at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. That's just the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. For those of you who are familiar with the city, we'd love to have you come join us and, and worship with us. Let's go to line three where we've got Joe in Aurora. Hi, Joe. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. 
yeah, great to have you. What's going on? So I have what you were describing over the air a couple calls ago about the, you know, the gift of prophecy okay. um, with, you know, just getting words for people um, and, and things of that nature. And mm-hmm. I have currently found out that the church that I've been a part of doesn't believe that those things are real. Or, okay, believe that or, or maybe dead. not for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that Jesus completed it, and so it's uh, moot. But how how would how would one go about maybe not proving, but maybe just finding uh, scripture to to kind of back it up? I know it's hard with personal experiences, um, but how would one do that? You think? Yeah, so what I would go to is um I would I would look at their argument. What so that what that their perspective or their their take is called cessationism, which refers to ceasing, right? So the opposite view, which clearly you hold, is the view called continuationism. And so a continuationist believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't just for uh days gone by, but they are still active today. And the reason why continuationists believe that, which I I myself am a continuationist. One of the reasons why continuationists believe that is because we see absolutely no reason in the Bible for why it would have stopped. And um, now here's where the cessationists would argue back. They would say, well, it is, there is a reference to it in 1 Corinthians 13. So let's go there and uh, I'll take you there if you don't have a Bible in front of you. 1 Corinthians 13 and it talks about, um, it's a large section which is talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he's going, starting in chapter 12 and going all the way through chapter 14. In chapter 12, he kind of talks about the various different gifts of the Holy Spirit. He lists a bunch of them. And in chapter 13, he kind of takes a break from listing them and kind of gives a caveat and says, but just hang on a second. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Like it's all a waste if I don't have love all the you know, you can be have all the spiritual gifts in the world. But if you don't have love, then it's it's all just a bunch of noise. But then here's what he says at the end. He goes on this thing about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. And he goes so on. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And here here's really the crux of this cessationist argument from Scripture. It says this, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, and that's really the key right there, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these things, but the greatest of these is love. Okay, so to deal with the cessationist uh, argument, you have to deal with this scripture. And I'll add one more thing. Besides the scriptural argument, I think that for a lot of cessationists, the bigger argument or the bigger issue is what they deem to be the abuse of spiritual gifts. And uh, I think that's a whole different issue which does need to be addressed. But first of all, let's look at this biblical argument. 
They're basically saying this, prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease, and knowledge will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Here's their argument, that the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues were necessary for a time when we did not have the canon of Scripture. But once we have the canon of Scripture completed, we no longer need these things to help us know what the will of God is because now we have the uh, Bible to tell us what the will of God is. And, in, and the Bible are, is what they're arguing is the perfect. And uh -huh. the partial then would be things like prophecy. It's a pretty good argument until you actually um, start to break it down. And I'll give you some reasons why this argument breaks down. First of all, he says uh, that three things will pass away. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Now, I don't think you're going to find any cessationist who will agree with you that knowledge has passed away. If anything, they would agree that knowledge has increased because we have the full canon of Scripture. Right. But yet, those three things are put in the same sentence. And so what it's saying is that when the perfect comes, then we will no longer need tongues, we will no longer need prophecy, and we will no longer need knowledge. Now, but their own argument says that we need knowledge. So I hope you, you're following me here. Um, yep. here. Here's the other thing is that, okay, does the perfect that he's referring to refer to the Bible? I don't think it does because then he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So what he's looking forward to is not the full canon of Scripture. What he's looking forward to is that day when we will see God face to face, when we will be in glory. And truly, when we are in glory, we will no longer need a gift of prophecy. We will no longer need someone to tell us a word from the Lord because the Lord will give us his word directly. We'll no longer need right. tongues to praise God because in glory we will be able to praise God sufficiently. Not with the, We will be free from the limitations of our, our human language that now limit us. And at that time we'll no longer need knowledge because we will know and see everything clearly. You know, I won't, I won't need to know. For example, you know, I don't need to know about um, a topic if I am experiencing that thing in the moment, right? right? So, so I believe that that's what it refers to. I think that it really is a stretch to say that uh, that section there, that's First Corinthians thirteen eight through twelve, is referring to the canon of Scripture. Give you one more argument on that, and that is that by the time Paul wrote this much of the scripture was already in distribution, uh, meaning the gospels were already in distribution and um, many of the letters, uh, apostolic letters, were already in distribution as well. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a great argument, that last one, because uh, a person could come back and say, okay, but yes, but they weren't finalized, they weren't you know, completed as a canon of scripture. So I, I guess I could concede that point if I had to. I think the bigger point is that they're trying to say that the perfect there refers to the scripture, the canon of the New Testament, and I just don't think that that is what it is referring to. Um, okay. So from a continuationist perspective, I don't see any reason to say that uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Another thing is that you'll notice that if you go up to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you look at the list of the gifts of the, gifts of the uh, Holy Spirit, they would argue, uh, you know, a, a cessationist would argue 
that it is not all gifts that have ceased. It is the sign gifts. So some people would say that that even includes the gift of healing. And others would say it, they, they definitely always would say it's the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. They call those sign gifts and they believe that those were used for the purpose of giving God's revelation to people at a time when they didn't have the scriptures. Truth is, we did have they did have the scriptures uh, in some form already. And the other thing is that when it comes to speaking in tongues, uh, if you go down to chapter 14, you'll notice that speaking in tongues was not meant to be a way of God giving someone a message. But it says there that one who speaks in tongues speaks mysteries within himself unto God. Even when you see in Acts chapter 2, when they speak in tongues on the day of Pentecost, they're not speaking to people to preach the gospel message. They're speaking praises to God. And then when they, it comes time for them to preach the gospel message, then they uh, start speaking in, in a language which was mutually understandable by everybody there. Okay. So, now, the, didn't, okay, didn't go ahead. Jesus say in Matthew that you're... In the end times, your your fathers will see dreams and your sons will prophesy. And uh, yeah, so that is a that is quoted in Acts chapter two, and that is from that is from the book of Joel, the Old Testament book of Joel, where he says in the in the last days, you know, your sons will see signs and visions. That's also a very good point there because um, the last days. If you actually go to Hebrews chapter 1, here's a really good point for you to maybe make with them. Hebrews chapter 1 kind of defines what the last days are for us. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying right there is that the last days you know, are from the time when he's writing up until the end of the age and the the end of all things. So that means that we are in the last days in that sense. And so if in the last days, you know, there will be these um, gifts of prophecy and these things, then, yeah, that's a that's a perfectly good argument. That's the one that Peter used to explain what was happening on the day of Pentecost. Okay, awesome. Now, the other issue, like I said, is the issue of... Um, abuses and and i think right. that's a that's a very uh, you know it's a fair argument i think that man i think it has there has been some abuse and i think that's actually what paul the apostle is addressing there in in first corinthians 14 he's saying okay look there need to be some parameters around here because people are abusing these things and it's it's frankly not helpful for example like when people come in uh, who are not believers he mentions that and yeah. uh, and the fact is, you know, it can be used very coercively and honestly very abusively in the wrong context. And uh, and it has been, you know, people coming up. Oh, I've got a word from the Lord for you. And, you know, you have to do it because it's God's word for you it can easily be abused. Uh, but but again, that gets to do you just because someone's doing something wrong doesn't mean that the practice itself is wrong. So. OK, great. Yeah, well, God bless you. Thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. Have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show. 
we're going to go ahead and go to line one where we have an anonymous caller with a question. Oh, line one is dropped. We're going to go to line two where we've got Jeremy in Franktown. Hi, Jeremy. How's it going? Going well. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, I actually just got a, a praise to share with folks. Hopefully uh, can encourage somebody out there. Um, in 2001, I sustained a back injury while I was in the Army. We were uh, during a field problem. Uh, I took a spill uh, into about a four-foot deep hole uh, with an 80-pound pack on. And, uh, yeah, definitely had back problems since then. And uh, then about last month, uh, it was kind of a rainy night out here in Colorado and uh, just kind of sitting around doing some work on the computer and kind of felt God tugging on my heart to just come outside and spend some time with them. And so I did. I was just praising them, raising up my hands and thanking them just for the uh, the restoration of all of us, all of creation and the whole thing that he promises us will come one day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of felt something kind of funny in my back and, uh, yeah, pretty much healed it right then and there. Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. (laughs) Pretty awesome and totally unexpected. I just assumed that was going to be something I would live with for the rest of my life and just kind of accepted it and, you know, never really, asked for healing or anything like that but uh yeah it was pretty crazy and uh pretty legit and i kind of always hearing other people's stories thought it was kind of airy fairy or whatnot but uh yeah it was legit so been uh yeah a lot of sleepless nights since then and uh, uh or since the injury and you know been sleeping a lot better and just able to you know move a lot better in general so That's just wanted awesome. to praise him and give him glory for that Awesome. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Jeremy, hey, thanks for your service as well. And if you'd let us, we'd love to pray for you and just thank the Lord together. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yes, Lord, we we pray together with Jeremy. We just want to say thank you, Lord. We want to say praise you. Lord, you're the one who created us and who knit us together. Lord, you know how our bodies work, and you are the one who has the ultimate power to heal. And we just want to acknowledge what you've done in Jeremy's life. We want to thank you for it. Lord, we pray just for uh, continued well-being for him and his back. Lord, we just pray that this would be uh, total, true restoration and healing. And uh, I thank you for his heart to share that with us. Lord, I pray that others who are listening to this today would be encouraged by it and that they would give you glory. And Lord, that they would be encouraged to uh, seek you and to ask you for those things. So, Lord, we give you praise for that, and thank you for Jeremy, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for calling in. God bless you. No problem. See you guys. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. If you are in the Longmont area, we'd love to have you check us out, either online or in person. You can find us wherever you are in the world. You can look us up online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Or you can visit us in person on a Sunday morning. You can find all that information on our website there at whitefieldschurch.com. But if you're in the Longmont area, do come and check us out sometime. Uh, The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We've got all open lines right now. So if you want to call in before the end of the show, we've got about seven minutes. It'd be a good time to get one last call in. 
But in the meantime, let's go over to the text line. We have one question that came in that said, what are the primary things that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses teach that contradict Christianity? It's a really great question. I'm going to actually read it again just in case anybody missed it. It said, what are the primary things that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses teach that contradict Christianity? It's a great question, and it's, it's one that I'm, I'm glad this person wrote in to ask. So thank you. The, um, the answer to this is the person of Jesus. Now, there are several things that are different, and, and we could go into all of those things. But I'm going to tell you the primary thing. I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, the person of Jesus, and number two, the way of salvation. And we'll begin, let's begin with the second one. Let's begin with the, the way of salvation. This is really what separates Christianity from every other philosophy, every other religion that exists in the world, is that every other religion teaches ultimately salvation by works, that salvation is something you need to earn. It, you know, here's a list of rules, and if you can follow the rules well enough, then you can earn God's favor, and then maybe you'll tip the scales, you'll do more good things than you do bad things, and God will, on that day, let you in if you can, you know, tip the scales in uh, your own favor by doing more good things than bad things. Christianity teaches just the opposite. Christianity teaches that Things are so much stacked against you. Sin so much outweighs anything good that you could possibly do that you have absolutely no chance of earning God's favor and saving yourself. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves you so much that he himself came, became a person, Jesus Christ, and he died on that cross as a way of taking all of your sins, all of the cosmic punishment for your sins and repercussions of your sins upon himself so that you could be saved. And, um, and that really is the biggest difference. And so Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are going to tell you that you're gonna, you are saved by adherence to rules and religious laws, uh, whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are saved by, great, by the grace of God only and by faith in that, receiving it by faith, completely apart from anything that you do or don't do. And that once we are transformed and brought into God's family, that he, his spirit comes into us and changes us, and then that is what changes our actions. Uh, the other thing that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, differ from Christianity on is their teaching of the person of Jesus. So for example, um, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was not God, and, and that he was a human being. Mormons teach that he was the brother of Lucifer and also a created being. So it's a very important point. You know, if you read the book of Hebrews, as I, I keep uh, continually going back to, especially the first two chapters of Hebrews, you'll see this very important theme over and over that Jesus is not just another good person. He's not just another teacher. He's not just someone who can be compared to Moses. No, he is the creator of all things. He holds the universe together by, his, by the power of his word. He is none other than God Almighty. So those are the, the two things I would point out to you that are the biggest issue of contention between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, the person of Jesus and the way of salvation. Let's go ahead and go to our final caller today, Katie in Greeley, with a question about something we've been talking about already. Hi, Katie. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing well. We've got two and a half minutes. Do you think we can do this? Well, I hope so. All right. Let me I have just it. have a question about tongues. When people speak in tongues, is it a known language like French, German, or is it gibberish? Sounds like gibberish sometimes, and I don't know how anybody can interpret that. 
Yeah. So here's uh, the answer, and the answer is uh, both. The answer is both, and here's why. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we read about um, the apostles that, you know, the Christians weren't just the apostles, 120 people up in the upper room. What's very interesting is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of them. So you can imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in foreign languages. That's part of Acts chapter mm-hmm. 2. So here's Mary. She's speaking in these foreign languages and all the other 120 people. And it says that people heard them speaking in the various languages because people were there for this festival. They were there for is the festival of Pentecost. People from all over the world, you know, Jewish diaspora, which refers to another question we had earlier today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, these people speak different languages. And then they hear these people praising God in their languages. It was meant as a sign and as a as a miracle and mm-hmm. to get their attention, but also so that they would hear these people praising God. OK, were those known languages? Yes, they were. But what about people who it, it seems from all? you know, everything we can tell are really just kind of babbling. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's kind of the justification for that would be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul makes an allusion to this. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The answer would be uh, that sometimes people speak in the tongues of men. And sometimes they speak in the tongues of angels, meaning an unknown language. Paul refers to this also in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about groanings, which cannot be understood. You know, the Holy Spirit within us groans within us, you know, crying out to God because, again, our human language is limiting in some ways. So that, okay, we're ending the show, but thank you so much for calling in. I'm glad we got that one in. You have been listening to Calvary Live. It's been a pleasure to be on the air with you today, answering your calls and texts. I have been Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. We'll catch you next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.